Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. There's been some concerning stories about banks going bust from the US and Europe of late. The confidence in banks is falling after Silicon Valley Bank in America went under. Last week, when we learned of the problems of the banks, on Friday, the government regulator in charge, the FDIC, took control of Silicon Valley Bank's assets. And New York-based signature bank collapses. You know, when I look to what has happened, Silicon Valley Bank and subsequently others are mid-sized banks, they were not really subject to stringent regulation as we have in other parts of the world. With financial institutions going under and the global financial systems now being so much more interconnected, does that mean that could happen here in Australia? Today we find out the likelihood of one of our big four going under and what would happen if they did. But first, your news headlines for Monday, March 20. A Victorian Liberal MP could be removed from her party over her role in an anti-trans rally. Moira Deeming spoke at British anti-trans activist Kelly J. Keane Minchell's Let Women Speak event outside Victorian Parliament on Saturday. The rally also attended by members of the National Socialist Movement, who repeatedly performed a Nazi salute and held signs calling trans people offensive slurs, sparking violent clashes with counter-protesters. Victorian Liberal leader John Pesuto says he met with Ms Deeming on Sunday to discuss her involvement in the event, calling her position as an MP untenable and that he would move at the next party meeting to expel her as a member, saying this was not an issue of free speech, it's about the values being abhorrent to his own, the parties and the wider communities. It's been revealed that a man who died after drowning at a beach in WA last week is Neighbours actor Peter Hardy. Hardy, who played Jimmy Drain in the 1990s on the iconic Aussie soap, also starred in Blue Healers, a country practice, Chopper, McLeod's Daughters and Stingers. The 66-year-old was pulled unresponsive from the water at South Beach in Fremantle last Thursday. Paramedics were unable to revive him. Russian President Vladimir Putin has made a surprise visit to the Ukrainian city of Mariupol, his first trip to the Russian-occupied territories of the country's Donbass region since the conflict began more than a year ago. The visit came after Putin made an unannounced trip to Crimea on Saturday to mark the ninth anniversary of the annexation of the territory from Ukraine. The visit coming just two days after the International Criminal Court issued a warrant for his arrest for war crimes. Some observers say the trip to the territory may be an act of defiance, the warrant accusing Putin of illegally deporting hundreds of children from Ukraine. 
Former US President Donald Trump is expecting to be arrested this week and is calling on his supporters to protest. New York prosecutors are reportedly considering charges over hush money he paid to a porn star. Trump posting on social media that the illegal leaks came from a corrupt and highly political Manhattan district attorney's office, indicating that with no crime being able to be proven, the far and away leading Republican candidate and former president of the United States of America will be arrested on Tuesday of next week, calling on his followers to protest and take their nation back. The Manhattan District Attorney has been investigating the payment to Stormy Daniels, but declined to comment on any impending arrest. A 6.8 magnitude quake has struck Ecuador, killing at least 15 people. Ecuador's President Guillermo Lasso told reporters that the quake had without a doubt generated alarm in the population. His office confirming 12 victims died in the coastal state of El Oro and two in the highland state of Azue. The tremor felt from the country's northern border to the central Pacific coast. There are reportedly still people trapped under rubble with firefighters working to free them. Aussies have dominated the slopes at the Aerials World Cup in Kazakhstan. Danielle Scott has won her first trophy as the number one aerial skier in the world for the 2023 season, securing her eighth career World Cup victory after beating Canadian Marion Theno in the final competition of the season. Fellow Australian Laura Peel took out second place with a win in the final round. Peel was the only woman in the final to perform a triple back somersault. That's your latest news headlines in a moment. Today's Deep Dive. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. It seems financial regulators across the world are currently pulling out all the stops to make sure banks don't go bankrupt. Until very recently, Silicon Valley Bank was the 16th largest bank in the United States, worth more than $200 billion. They catered to the financial needs of technology companies across the globe. But on Friday, March 10, they went under. Now, Treasurer Jim Chalmers says the government is closely monitoring the potential impacts on Australia after the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank in the US. It's the biggest American bank meltdown since Washington Mutual collapsed in the global financial crisis. Then, over the weekend, Signature Bank, based in New York, went bust too. After the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank on Friday, another bank just shut down. Regulators today abruptly closed Signature Bank. It has offices throughout New York and Connecticut. Just a few days later, Credit Suisse, based in Europe, also saw its share price start to slide, dragging down the security of other European banks with fears the system failure was spreading. Now a major European bank is also in trouble. At one point, shares of Credit Suisse fell as low as 30%, dragging international markets with it. So what's happening here? 
to explain is Mark Lawrence Humphrey-Jenner, Associate Professor at the School of Banking and Finance at the University of New South Wales Business School. Well, with both Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, it was really just a complete failure of risk management, complete failure of, well, really running a competent bank, to be honest. So say we're looking at Silicon Valley Bank, there were a whole confluence of factors that led to it going under. So what happened with Silicon Valley Bank is it had a very concentrated depositor base, usually startups and tech firms. And these depositors, well, they were all going to withdraw money at a very similar time because they all face similar economic risks. So over the past year or so, it's been a really tough year for startups. So they weren't really depositing more money into the bank, many capital raising. So the venture capital funds also went funneling money into these companies to be put into that bank. That meant that Silicon Valley Bank wasn't raising much more money. However, what Silicon Valley Bank had done during the boom just before this is they'd taken a lot of deposits and they'd put those deposits into very long-dated investments. So what that basically means is Silicon Valley Bank took that money in, then they invested that in treasuries. These treasuries are effectively loans, so a loan to the government. They invested it also in mortgage-backed securities, again, a loan or a form thereof. These were paying very, very low interest rates. However, fast forward to the pandemic and the results from that, and we saw interest rates go up significantly. So what Silicon Valley Bank did is they put money in that was earning around 2%, but the interest rates went up to, say, 4%. This meant those assets simply weren't worth very much anymore. They plummeted in value. And this left Silicon Valley Bank with a conundrum. Its depositors weren't putting more money in and were, in fact, withdrawing money, but the assets had gone down in value. So when Silicon Valley Bank needed to sell these assets, they would incur a loss. Silicon Valley Bank, of course, realized this was an issue, and then they started to sell the available for sale securities. When they were selling these, they incurred a massive loss of about $1.8 billion. But this was just the tip of the iceberg. They had many other securities that are so-called held-to-maturity securities. These are ones where they don't need to record the losses on a continuing basis. This meant that there was a bigger iceberg of losses that Silicon Valley Bank was effectively shielding on their balance sheet. The market, of course, realized this. And this really came to a head when Silicon Valley Bank went out to try to raise a ton of money. Went out to raise, well, in this case, $2.25 billion. So a sizable amount of money anyway. And then the market really became spooked. And then this triggered a classic bank run, where venture capital funds withdrew their money, instructed startups to withdraw their money, and then everyone basically just left the bank. And hence why Silicon Valley Bank ultimately went under. Can we correlate what's happening in the US with those banks to what we've seen happen in Europe with, say, Credit Suisse? Are they related in what they're experiencing? They have some parallels, but there is a bit of a difference here. So say we're looking at Credit Suisse. Credit Suisse hasn't had so much of a bank run. It's just had death by a thousand cuts over the past year or so. So over the past 12 months, if we're excluding the most recent rally on the back of the Swiss National Bank coming in to save it, over the past 12 months, it went down some 70% or so. Now, this was really a result of a lot of things all building up. So all the way back in the beginning of 2022, they had a leak of client data. Now, that leak was not great for a bank that is supposed to be secretive because no banks are supposed to leak client data. And that was not brilliant, so clients obviously left. Then you had on other issues. So, for example, they lost a lot of money in Archegos. Archegos was a quote-unquote hedge fund type entity that simply wasn't very competent, and then Credit Suisse lost some billions of dollars. And it just continued onwards and onwards, and Credit Suisse started to lose clients. And this was a problem, because they'd lose both depositors but also people who would be investing in Credit Suisse's asset management division. So we're losing people who could actually help them to make some money through client fees. 
Then at the very beginning of 2023, they announced one of their largest losses in their history, the 167-year history. Credit Suisse was simply not doing very well. And then really the catalyst for this most recent situation seems to have been what happened at the beginning of March. Regulators raised concerns about some of Credit Suisse's reporting. Furthermore, Credit Suisse disclosed that it didn't really have proper risk management to ensure their reports were actually accurate. So if you have a bank that has all of these issues going on, a massive loss, and then they come in and say, well, maybe there are some concerns about our financial reporting, well, people are going to be a little bit spooked by that. And that's why its stock price just nosedived. It nosedived 5% on that reporting issue. And then after this, the Saudi National Bank, which owns nearly 10% of Credit Suisse, came out and said that they wouldn't be providing additional financial support. They said they wouldn't do this for regulatory disclosure reasons and for other reasons. They didn't say exactly what those other reasons were, other than that they existed. And this caused Credit Suisse's stock price to go down another 20% or so. And then the Swiss National Bank needed to come in and effectively help out Credit Suisse with this 50 billion euro lifeline, which came in the form of an additional loan, so liquidity, to Credit Suisse to enable it to keep operating. Banking collapses have happened here in Australia before. If you're a South Australian of a certain age, you might remember before there was Bank SA, which is now part of St George, owned by Westpac, there was the State Bank. The only bank with its heart in South Australia. State Bank, your bank. The bank we call our own. State Bank, your bank. It's yours, yours alone. Because they don't have Brits in Sydney. The State Bank, which opened in 1869 and was owned by the Government of South Australia, would be the centre of the state's biggest economic disaster in South Australian history. It collapsed in 1991 with debts of over $3 billion. It forced a massive taxpayer-funded bailout and it ended with the resignation of the then South Australian Premier, John Bannon. A Royal Commission into the bank's failure found its managing director, Tim Marcus Clark, who passed away in 2015, was largely responsible making poor lending decisions and aggressively expanding the bank during the Gordon Gecko greed era of the 1980s. It also found that the regulations put in place by the state government and its premier were way too loose. This banking disaster came less than a year after the State Bank of Victoria also went bankrupt, also due to the irresponsible lending practices of the 1980s, and then the Reserve Bank of Australia's decision to increase interest rates, bringing on the recession of the 1990s. So are those banks going under in the US and Europe a signal of what's to come here? Yeah, bank failures are never great. Whenever a bank goes under, it's always somewhat traumatising for anyone involved, whether it's a depositor, whether it's a counterparty, potentially whether it's just an employee, because many employees at these banks that fail They're just doing their job. They're not necessarily responsible for the underlying problems. So a bank failure is hugely problematic for not just individuals, but also for the economy as well. So say we're looking at Australia. Australia has had some bank failures in the past, but more recently, that hasn't really happened so much. And that's really a function of a couple of things, but in particular, stronger regulation. So in Australia, we've got APRA, the Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority, and they regulated banks. And their goal here is to ensure that those banks act prudentially, that they have proper risk management and that they won't fail. Now, one of the distinguishing factors between Australia and the United States 
is in the US, they have effectively a bifurcated model where banks with under $250 billion of assets have significantly less stringent regulations than banks with more assets. This means you've got banks like Silicon Valley Bank or First Republic or myriad other small regional banks that have much less stringent regulations. And this means that Silicon Valley Bank could get away with not having a chief risk officer for some eight months. I mean, they could get away with having a board of directors that reportedly had very little financial acumen. I mean, they could get away without insuring against interest rate risk. I mean, the Silicon Valley Bank could get away with simply being a bad bank. In Australia, the regulation is such that that simply wouldn't fly. APRA would come in and it would stop that type of thing happening. APRA would, for example, penalize a bank for failing to properly insure against interest rate risk. They'd penalize a bank for all of these shoddy risk management practices. This means that we have a much stronger financial system. The downside of this, of course, is we have a much more concentrated financial system, which sometimes leads to some not-so-customer-friendly practices. What happens when a bank fails? I mean, as far as Silicon Valley goes, there's a lot of businesses and some of them have pulled money out sort of as quickly as they can. But what happens when a bank goes down? Do people just lose their money? So it really depends on the exact situation. So say, for example, a bank fails. So we've got Silicon Valley Bank. Now, ordinarily in the United States, deposits would have been insured up to $250,000. What that basically means is that there's a program called the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. This would insure deposits that are up to a certain limit. However, when Silicon Valley Bank failed, in conjunction with Signature Bank failed, the Federal Reserve, Treasury, and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation all came in and they basically said, well, we'll guarantee deposits up to an unlimited amount. This basically removed that cap on the insurance. This means that when you're a depositor in the United States now, you're going to effectively get your money back, albeit via, to some extent, the government. Now, it's not totally the taxpayer paying this up, because the way the FDIC works is it will insure these deposits, but the insurance comes via a levy on the banks, not via the taxpayer per se, which means that it isn't necessarily the taxpayer just bailing out individuals. Now, when a bank fails, the depositors here are supported, but of course, it will depend on the exact jurisdiction. Some jurisdictions do have limits on exactly how much the insurance is. In Australia, for example, there are limits on the insurance. However, we hope that a bank doesn't fail. And for the reasons mentioned, I don't expect that a bank would be failing in Australia. So that's what would happen with the depositors. However, it's not just depositors that are affected. You've also got the people who are borrowing money. So say, for example, you've got a mortgage with ANZ or Westpac or whatever. Say ANZ fails. Well, your mortgage still exists. You don't have to pay it off immediately. The mortgage still operates like it already did. That's a financial contract that would continue operating. It just happens that mortgage will probably be bought by someone else, and then you'll be paying that money to whoever buys the mortgage. Now, the question here and the real complication arises is you've got a credit line. So say, for example, you're a company and you have access to the ability to borrow money, but you haven't quite drawn that down. So often trade credit type situations. This was often the case with Silicon Valley Bank. You had companies that would have credit lines. Now those companies are in a much more precarious situation because they're going to need to refinance the credit line, maybe go to a different bank. But many of these other banks might have gotten more stringent over time with their credit lines, which can create a significant cash flow problem for some companies. It was announced this morning that multinational investment bank UBS will take over Credit Suisse for 3 billion Swiss francs, around $4.8 billion to bail it out. 
The deal comes after the Swiss central bank announced it would prop up the struggling bank with a cash injection of $160 billion after Swiss regulators were forced to step in and prevent it from going under, which would in turn cause a ripple effect across the broader financial system. Over the weekend, there were also reports that on top of Silicon Valley and Signal Banks, there may be possibly hundreds of other financial institutions across the US at risk of failing. Lucky for us, though, our regulators have all but ensured that this won't be happening to any of our banks anytime in the near future. We're unlikely to see mass contagion. We're unlikely to see Silicon Valley Bank or Signature Bank failing and that causing CBA or Bendigo Bank or Westpac or whichever bank it is to go under. Silicon Valley Bank simply wasn't that interlinked with the Australian banks and therefore its ramifications are relatively minor. This is especially the case since the Fed and Treasury and FDIC have come in to assure all deposits in the US, which should stave off a broader bank run. If there were a broader bank run, that would, of course, impact Australian banks because it would impact the whole global economy. Now, if we're looking at Credit Suisse, that is much more interlinked. So if Credit Suisse were to fail, there would be the risk of implications for Australia, but it seems very unlikely that it would actually bring down a bank, given the nature of our banking system. It seems like the Australian banks are significantly better run. And that's not necessarily of their own volition. It's because APRA has effectively forced them to be. The Quickie is produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyon. 